We finished last week uh, that glorious departure uh, of Mr. Standfast uh, crossing over. We talked about the fact of his getting to the center there midway, the crossing, and uh, pausing there and comfortably talking with those around him for a while. And uh, Brother John mentioned uh, a real-life illustration of this uh, allegorical picture, testimony, real-life testimony, in uh, the, uh, the memoirs of Thomas Halliburton. This, of course, is a reproduction copy, but uh, I have an original. But uh, in that... In that book, the very last, in fact, the last page of the uh, that treatment of Halliburton, Thomas Halliburton's memoirs, we find this <coughs> conversation <coughs> going on between himself and uh, one who was there attending him as he was dying. And again, this is not fictional. This is actual testimony. So one there at his bedside said, You seem to be near the crown that you have been wrestling so long for. He cried, Free grace, free grace, not unto me. Speaking of his body, he said, Why should it not go back to dust? Then one said, You've been crying much to God that he would be with you. And I doubt not, but you find you are finding it now. He said, yes. And then one said, now you are putting your seal to that truth that great is the gain of godliness. And he answered, yes, indeed. Then one said, and I hope you are encouraging yourself in the Lord. As a sign of it, he lifted up his swollen hands and clapped them when he could not speak longer. Then in a little, he went to the land where the weary are at rest. That's what John was referring to last week about the testimony of Thomas Halliburton. In the midst of the river, talking to those around him. We take up that final couple paragraphs in our part two of Pilgrim's Progress, the closing scenes. Bunyan concludes the story with these words, but glorious it was to see how the open region was filled with horses and chariots, with trumpeters and pipers, with singers and players upon stringed instruments to welcome the pilgrims as they went up and followed one another in at the beautiful gate of the city. As for Christiana's children, the four boys that Christiana brought with their wives and children I did not stay where I was till they were gone over. 
Also, since I came away, I heard one say that they were yet alive, and so would be of the increase of the church in that place where they were for a time. Should it be my lot to go that way again, I may give those that desire it an account of what I hear am silent about. Meantime, I bid my reader farewell. And thus, the end of part two, Pilgrim's Progress, and all of the saints have passed over. McGuire says at this point, The residue of the company are left upon the earth to pursue their pilgrimage still, to bring forth the people to the Lord and to await the summons that is yet to call them away. To follow those who have already, through faith and patience, inherited the promises. And who next? And next? It may be, or the summons may be, it may be you, or the summons may be for me. There is something peculiarly solemn, glorious, grand about this this final shadow of the dreamer's dream as it thus vanishes from his sight, the finishing touch of the inimitable pencil of the allegorist shades off the things of earth into the things of heaven and merges that which is seen and temporal into that which is unseen and eternal and thus we bid a reluctant farewell to the visions of the glorious dreamer profited by the best lessons he hath taught us and encouraged to pursue with great zeal and vigor the path of our own spiritual pilgrimage to a better land and then he provides us this poem Thither my weak and weary steps are tending. Savior and Lord with with thy frail child by. Guide me toward home where all my wanderings ending. I shall see thee and shall be satisfied. And so McGuire brings to the end of his commenting. Scott had this as a final word for our allegory. He said, The view given in this place of the peaceful and joyful death of the pilgrims cannot but affect every reader in some degree. Many perhaps may be ready to say, Let me die the death of the righteous. Let my last end be like his. But, except they make it their principal concern to live the life of the righteous, such a wish will most probably be frustrated. And every hope grounded on it is eventually presumptuous, is evidently presumptuous, as the example of Balaam sufficiently proves. If any man therefore doubt whether this allegory do indeed describe the rise and progress of religion in the soul, 
the beginning, continuous and termination, continuance and termination of the godly man's course to heaven. Let him diligently search the, search the scriptures and fervently pray to God from whom alone cometh every good and perfect gift to enable him to determine this question. But let such as own themselves to be satisfied that it does, that is, it does describe their pilgrimage. Beware lest they rest on this ascent and notion in the pleasure of reading an ingenious work on the subject or in the ability of developing many of the author's emblems. In other words, just because you appreciate this allegory and just because you may have a good knowledge of it and even be able to work out much of the much of the details of what he's describing, let them beware, lest they be fascinated, as it were, into a persuasion that they actually accompany the pilgrims in the life of faith and walking with God in the same measure as they keep pace with the author. In discovering and approving the grand outlines of his plan. Just because you can walk with these pilgrims in your mind. Because you can explain them and identify them. Don't deceive yourself into thinking that because of that. You are yourself on this pilgrimage. Let everyone carefully examine his state. Sentiments. Experience. Motives tempers, affections, and conduct by the various characters, incidents, and observations that pass under his review. Assured that this is a matter of greatest consequence, we ought not indeed to call any man master or subscribe absolutely to all his sentiments. Yet the diligent, practical student of Scripture can scarcely doubt but that the warnings, counsels, and instructions of this singular work agree in general with that sacred touchstone, or that characters and actions will at last be approved or condemned by the judge of the world in a great degree according to the sentence passed on them in this wise and faithful book. The Lord grant that the readers of these observations may find mercy in that day, be addressed in these gracious words, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So be careful, he warns, be careful that because you can trace the goings in this allegory, don't delude yourself into believing that just because of that, you are yourself a partaker in it. Because it may not be so. Alexander White said... Actually, I'd read that to you uh, before, so uh, I won't uh, 
I won't trouble you with the reading of it again. I realize I'd already read that to you. His comments about the closing of this whole uh, section. But I would give you a poem from Overton at the conclusion of this great allegory. Overton has a hymn. I don't know who wrote it. You can research it and find out, I'm sure. I didn't look it up. I just appreciated the hymn. Great God, thy way is in the sea, thy footsteps in the deep. O'er unknown depths we pass to thee, and trackless oceans sweep. Yet all thy saints, their dangers past, shall safely reach the land at last. What though the gales of trouble rise and drift our souls afar, Though vain we search the darkened skies for sun or moon or star, we shall not perish in the blast, but reach the heavenly shore at last. What though the creaking bark be tossed and loud the tempest rave, to trembling sight though all be lost and none be near to save, yet through the storm, though loud it roar, we still shall reach the heavenly shore. The whirling winds may wildly crash and rage without control, and all the waves and billows dash, terrific o'er the soul. But still, on plank or wreck or oar, we all shall safely reach the shore. Almighty God, doth earth and both earth and sea confess thy sovereign sway. All nature hears thy wise decree, the winds and waves obey. Oh, let thy heavenly grace control the storms and fears that toss my soul. Oh, give me, Lord, the honest heart, and valiant let me prove that firm and steadfast faith impart, which tempests cannot move, so shall I reach my perils o'er in peace and joy, the heavenly shore. Wonderful poem provided by Overton. And I would leave you with just a final reading from Avmi. Avmi said at the close of this excellent book, let me address one word to the reader, to your soul and mine. What think we of a pilgrim's life? And of a pilgrim's death. His life begins with knowledge of Christ. And ends by dying in him. And eternally rejoicing of him. And all through life the pilgrim looks to and lives upon Christ. <clears throat> Blessed beginning. Comfortable living. <clears throat> joyful dying. Now have we a part? Have we a part? And a lot in this matter? Is Christ our life? Is he the life of our souls? 
If he is, we shall live by faith upon him, rely on his atonement, glory in his righteousness, rejoice in his salvation. <clears throat> Desiring to have done, have done with all sin and to be dead to all self-righteousness. And then heart, lip, and life studying to glorify him by devoting ourselves to him, looking, longing, and waiting for his coming. As many as live by this faith and walk according to this rule, peace be to them from the holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity. So, there is, I've encourages us to, to look to, to look to our own hearts and examine our own hearts whether or not we are, in fact, partakers in this salvation. It's a glorious story, of course, but it's of no use unless you have it as your own possession. One final poem and I'll close. Close this session and close this book. Poem entitled Emmanuel's Land, recorded by Inglis in the back of his comments. He said, oh, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He brings a poor vile sinner into his home of wine. I stand upon his merits. I know no safer stand, not even when glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. I shall sleep sound in Jesus, filled with his likeness, rise to live and to adore him. To see him with these eyes between me and resurrection, but paradise doth stand. And then, then, glory dwelling in Emmanuel's land. The sands of time are sinking, the dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I've sighed for, the fair sweet morn awakes. Dark, dark hath been the midnight, but day spring is at hand. And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. The king there in his beauty without a veil is seen. The world well spent journey, though seven deaths lay between. The lamb with his fair army doth on Mount Zion stand. And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. For rested on Towards heaven, against storm and wind and tide. Now like a weary traveler that leaneth on his guide, amid the shades of evening, while sinks life's lingering sand, I hail the glory dawning in Emmanuel's land. All the pilgrims made it safely over. <laughs> All the pilgrims made it safely over. And so it always shall be. 
And that concludes part two of the Pilgrim's Progress. Would any like to comment or testify concerning the work? I'm sorry? Yes, sir. Set down my name. Amen. Well, that's a classic passage. Sir, set down my name. We shall all part one day. And none of us know when. Nothing more certain than death. Nothing more uncertain than the hour. It'll be a glorious day. Like the poem said, whether we go in through a storm or whether we go in calm waters, it'll be glory in Emmanuel's land. As <laughs> soon as your feet touch that shore, it'll be glory in Emmanuel's land. Let's pray together.